0: familiar scriptures today, and uh, I would like to um, read from the book of Romans, and uh, I'd like to also read from the book of uh, Philippians, and so Romans chapter number 12, and if you would just hold that scripture there, we'll come back to it, but I'd like to begin actually in the book of uh, Philippians. And uh, read there from chapter number 2. And I uh, I know that I'm preaching to men today. And I understand the times that we are living in. I understand the day, the challenges that we face. But uh, I really feel that I have something from the Lord today. And uh, Brother Padgett called uh, Wednesday night and... And uh, I had already felt something, I guess, kind of like what Brother Bass was talking about. I was studying this week, and and as I began to study and write some things down that were coming to my mind, uh, I thought, man, this is a men's conference or men's retreat message. And uh, I, I thought, well... Um, Surely, I won't get a call this week this late. And then, uh, then I begin to rebuke myself for even thinking about that. And sure enough, Brother Paget, he finally heard from God and he called me. I'm teasing. I'm making sure some of you are awake. Praise God. We need these times. We need the wisdom. We need the wisdom of our elders. We need the wisdom of apostolic preaching. We need the influence, of godly influence of fellowship. I'm going to tell you, if we don't, we're going to do something goofy. It don't take very long. if you, you're get, you get away from the influence of the church, the influence of fellowship. You'll get some goofy ideas. You let somebody get off over here on their own, and they get some of the strangest doctrines and beliefs and crazy ideas. Because we need one another. Yes. And we need the constant preaching and teaching and the feeding that the Word of God uh, does for us. I, 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 uh, I told the story a couple of times recently. You may have heard me tell it several years ago. Uh, a man decided to... Uh, he, he got a real ingenious idea. And, and the idea was that he could, uh, he could fill some weather balloons with helium and attach them to his lawn chair and take a ride through the skies and so he attached his lawn chair down to the uh, ground had some friends harness him into his lawn chair they filled up the balloons with helium fifty three of them matter of fact and uh... he got him some, some beer and sandwiches and he got harnessed into that lawn chair and he thought that uh... when they cut the ties that that uh... <laughs> he thought it was going to take him about 30 or 40 feet over the neighborhood and he'd be able to wave at the neighbors and and just kind of sit there and enjoy the sights. And when they cut the tethers, that lawn chair shot 16,000 feet in the air. And he brought along a pellet gun because he was going to shoot the He had a real good idea. He was going to shoot the balloons one by one and just slowly descend. You know, a lot of things sound like a good idea at the time. He was just going to slowly descend. When he got to 16,000 feet, he was so terrified, he wouldn't shoot one of the balloons. I guarantee you, he didn't eat his sandwiches either. He might have drank the beer. I don't know. But, but uh <laughs> And so uh, he got up and, and the, the winds blew him out over the ocean and blew him right into the, the, the air lanes where the jets were coming in to LAX airport. And air traffic control began to get the radio from every plane coming by. The pilot would say, you're not going to believe this. There's a man sitting in a lawn chair at sixteen thousand feet. <laughs> and sure enough they didn't believe it. <laughs> Until they kept getting the reports and finally sent they sent the Coast Guard out there with a helicopter, and the helicopter went out there and, and the rotor wash from the blades would just push those balloons every time they'd get close, he'd just take a ride hanging on for dear life and so it caused so much trouble and and so much distraction finally they they finally found a way to get him into the helicopter and get him separated from from uh the balloons and the lawn chair and all of that and and they arrested him on the spot and uh come to find out later on the head releasing there were no laws for sitting in a lawn chair in landing lanes sixteen thousand feet He didn't have anything to hold him on. (laughs) And so there there were some of the local press. They couldn't wait to get to this guy. And uh, he said, hey, look, we want to find out why did you do what you did? He said, well, you can't sit around the house all your life. (sighs) You know, you can sit around the house and get some goofy ideas. But thank God we've come to men's retreat to be blessed and to be fed. And I feel challenged today. I want to go back home. I want to be a better father and a better husband and a better pastor and a better uh, leader and friend and everything that God has called me to be. I want to do it better. I'm inspired today. I'm motivated today. Praise God. By the Word of God. I want to read uh, Philippians chapter number 2. And uh, verse number two, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Now that's a tough scripture to live up to. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And then I want to go back to Ephesians chapter number 5 and verse 25. Just just a page or two over. Ephesians 5 and 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Everybody say gave. And then, going back to the original scripture I gave you, Romans chapter 12, very familiar for us today. Romans chapter 12, and verse number 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Everyone say sacrifice. Sacrifice. A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service I'm not always good with titles I um, my mind went through several things that I could call this today but, but um, for the sake of the CD I want to preach on this subject a manly sacrifice a manly Sacrifice Praise the Lord Well shake hands with somebody And look them in the eye And say I want my sacrifice To be a man's sacrifice Praise God Oh you don't have to preach to them Just Just shake the hand Praise God Don't you want the Lord to touch you one more time I want the Lord to touch me one more time. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you, God, for your presence that's been in this place. Thank you, Lord, for every prayer that's been prayed, the worship that's gone forth, the preaching that we've received. Bless our hearts one more time. Give us, Lord, a a mind to receive. Give us, Lord, a heart to respond and a willingness, oh God, to take it home with us and let it change us in Jesus' name. Praise God. Everyone say amen. Man, you may be seated. A manly sacrifice. Uh, I, uh, was reading some time back that many years ago, the American Indians of the plains they they had a very brutal culture, and the the initiation rites of of uh, a boy becoming a man, um, the rites of passage would be quite demanding and, and quite uh, violent. Um, I was in, I was in uh, Africa several years ago and one of the tribesmen were telling me what it took to be a man. He said one of the things that, that uh, he had to do was to be circumcised before the entire village. And he could show no emotion. And I said, no emotion. He said, not even a wink of the eye. And uh, um, now this wasn't done when they were a little child. It was when they reached the age of, I think, 18 to 21. And uh, he said, I said, what would happen if you cried out or you just winced? Or He said, oh, you would never be a man. You would be the laughing stock of all the village. Thank God I'm an American. (laughs) He said another thing that uh, Maasai uh, people did, a a man, and it's not so much now, but but in the generations before, a man would have to go on a lone hunt and kill a lion uh, with his spear by himself. And once again, I I'm thankful, I'm an American. Um, and then he said the third thing uh, that they would have to have done is they would have their two bottom front teeth cut out with a knife. And and every man of the Maasai tribe, they have their two. Um, thank God, I'm an American. And so uh, this is what it took to be a man in these violent cultures. And so uh, it was similar with the American Indians. Um, Their rites of passage would be quite demanding. And so from time to time, uh, there would be boys that did not want to endure this brutality of becoming a man. And so by choice, they made a decision to remain in the world of women and children. They had a name for them, and as best I've never heard it pronounced, but uh, it's B-E-R-D-A-C-H-E, beardache. And the Indian uh, word beardache, it, 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 it really means uh, woman-man or women-men. And so these women men, boy, I've got your attention now. Uh, They wore women's clothing, and they did women's work. They would even stuff their clothes so they would look pregnant. And they would even, even at times, they would cut themselves to imitate a woman's cycle. I think I'd just go to battle or something. Going to get cut. Uh, But they did this because of what they considered the expendability of being male. The expendability of being a man. I read a scientific study recently on how men's life expectancies uh, are shorter than women's. And this seems to be a constant throughout different species. Seems to be a constant around the world in human beings. And in this study, they concluded that males in animal groups and in primitive societies especially are treated by nature like the biological equivalent of paper plates. Creatures whose prime feature is their disposability. They cited a tribe in uh, Uganda called the uh, Karamojong tribe and when times are hard especially they will save scraps of food for their girls but they will allow their boys to die and in fact this specific tribe when Uganda was in a civil war in 1979 uh, many uh, of this tribe, they were starving, and they would uh, they would let their little boys starve. They would toss the stiffened bodies of their male children out of the village every night. they were tossing the the little bodies uh, out, and the only creatures that were growing fat were the hyenas that were hanging around the village to devour the little corpses and so so um, here it is: the male is seen by many, many societies and cultures as being expendable. As the life of a uh, male is uh, a dangerous life. It is documented that male fetuses are the primary victims of natural abortions and miscarriages and stillbirths. Um, it's also documented that in the first Few years of life, male babies have a higher death rate than uh, their sisters do. Uh, I read of uh, some researchers, they conducted a study in Alameda, California, which seems to be a nice civilized area, but they found that males were nearly four times more likely to lose their lives in a a homicide than females. Four times. Males. Uh, They found that that males were twice as likely to be accident victims. Men just take more chances I guess. They found that that, uh, males are twice as likely to be victims, twice as likely now, to be victims of lung cancer, of suicide, of pulmonary disease, cirrhosis of the liver, and heart disease. And they also concluded that the immune systems of females work far more efficiently than those of males. In fact, in every industrialized country, women live four to ten years longer than men do. Now, y'all depressed yet? <laughs> now, now there is a way to boost your immune system uh, that's guaranteed to encourage the male immune apparatus to function at a higher level. There is a way, uh, but I wouldn't recommend it. It's called castration. And uh, I, I wouldn't recommend that for it. Praise God. Hallelujah. I'd rather be a man. Amen. Right. Yes, and so it seems expendability... Is in our genes John Hopkins University studied Four generations of a particular Amish family And uh, they're, uh, they were perfectly uh, average The men in the family Seemed to be perfectly average Except for the fact they were missing one thing And that was the Y gene Which is called uh, an arm An entire arm of, of the male gene And this was gone in these men and they found that the normal Amish man lived to be about 70. But they found in this genetically impaired family that the gentlemen of this particular group, they lived to be the age of 82.3 years. That was the average for them. And so uh, they said that, that just just the male, uh, having male the male gene uh, causes us to be, more expendable, and to have shorter lives than our uh, uh, women. During the 20th century alone, there were over 90 million human beings that died in wars. Just think about it. 90 million people died in the 20th century alone. And the overwhelming majority of those casualties were men just think about it world war 1 world war 2 the vietnam war just just the wars that uh, america fought overwhelmingly it was men that is more than the entire population of uh, new england and new york state and california and texas and florida combined and most of them were men and so while the world is saying that it's dangerous To be a real man. We understand. It's better to be a man. In a dangerous world. And to fulfill our calling. And to serve for the cause. And the purpose. It's better to be a man. I like being a man. I'm glad God made me a man. And with being a man comes responsibility. With being a man, takes uh, the the willingness to put your life on the line. Sometimes, being a man, it requires us to step up and make sacrifices. In fact, that's what it's that's what manhood is about. It's not about fulfilling our selfish desires and following after our selfish whims, but being a man is about being uh, sacrificial. Amen. Paul said, I will willingly spend and be spent. I'm a man. And being a man calls for me to spend and be spent. There's something in the heart of a man that it looks for a cause. Something to sacrifice for. That that's more important than preserving my life. That that is more important than preserving my well-being. That that is more important than the pleasures of this temporary world. But I'm looking for a cause to lose myself in. I'm looking for purpose and I'm looking for meaning to give my life as a sacrifice for. It's in a man to look for a cause. It's in a man to live for purpose. It's in a man to look for meaning to lose himself in. Amen. I want to tell you today that is why that selfish men do not make good husbands. And selfish men do not make good fathers. And selfish men... Now, Brother Townley stomped all over my notes. Brother Bass got up here and danced all over it, I'm telling you. So I'm probably going to cover a little bit of uh, territory that's already been preached. But uh, we just must need it today. So if I repeat something somebody else said, and uh, deal with it. Praise God. But uh, uh selfish men do not uh, they don 't make good husbands they don 't make good fathers they don 't make good saints All right. amen i I really believe that a lot of the worldly spirits and, and attitudes that we pastors have to uh, contend with and the rebellions and the broken homes and the strife and the divisions and the immoral actions of people that, that it is nothing but, but uh, deeply rooted in selfishness. And we talk about the spirit of lust and spirit of adultery and all of that and, and, and I understand that. I do. But a man who would commit adultery be unfaithful to his wife And leave scars on his children. And traumatize a church family. Amen. Amen. I'm telling you, there's probably nothing that affects a church family uh, like unfaithfulness. And break up a home that has been intact. I'm telling you, that is the result of selfishness. It is a selfish man. Amen. We can blame it on the devil, but I'm going to tell you, some of them, some folks, they don't even need a devil. They're their own worst enemy. Amen. It begins begins with a selfish attitude. A lazy man is a selfish man. Man, I've seen people that uh, wouldn't hold down a job, go to the gym and work out. Figure that out. Man, it's, it's, not because, it's not because they won't e- exert the energy to do what needs to be done. It's because there's a selfishness there. It's a selfishness there. Individuals who are easily offended, they are selfish individuals. People who carry their feelings on their shoulders, they're selfish people. They're not thinking about other people's feelings. They're thinking about their own feelings. Hey, I grew up, I didn't know I had the luxury of being offended. I didn't know you could get mad at the preacher. I didn't know that was possible, right. till I started pastoring. Hallelujah, Amen. I, I, uh, I, I'm telling you today, what opens the door to rebellion and resistance to apostolic authority and godly leadership is is actually a selfish attitude. The strife and the division that gets into churches and causes factions and, and people taking this side and that side. It is a result of selfishness. And, and I'm telling you, people can sound spiritual and really be selfish. They can have spiritual-sounding language and spiritual-sounding reasons for doing what they're doing. And the, the deep root of it is a selfish spirit that is unwilling to sacrifice. It's like the woman that uh, uh, she said, I'm going to go on a do or die diet tomorrow. I'm starting my diet tomorrow. told everybody on the job, I am going to start my do or die diet. And everybody was waiting on her when she came in to work and she comes in carrying a coffee cake that was oozing with icing. She comes in, everybody's looking at that, and they said, Hey, hey, we thought you were starting today on a do-or-die diet. She said, Oh, this coffee cake, this is the will of God. I said, The will of God? Oh, yes. She said, I was on my way to work today, fully intending to start my diet. And I looked in the window of the bakery, and I saw this coffee cake sitting in the window. And I prayed. I said, Oh, God. If it's your will for me to have that coffee cake, let there be a parking place right in front of the bakery. She said, would you know on the 32nd time around, that parking place was right there? I've seen people causing church problems and, and rebellious in their heart and yet can sound so spiritual. I've seen people going toward disaster and destruction and sounding, I mean telling us what to, oh, I, man, I've had people tell, oh, God told me to leave my wife and, and, and to, 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 to get to, to run off with this. Now, God didn't tell you that. That's your old stinking selfish flesh that don't care about your kids and don't care about your wife and don't care about your future and don't care about your church family. It's selfishness. Amen. I remember a time uh, boy, hey, I'm telling you, uh, man uh, back when I was a real preacher uh, I, I remember I was traveling a little bit. I was, I was, I, I don't know how. Old. Brother Townley and I started out traveling together and preaching together and he got married and moved on with life and I was still concerned about ministry and doing something for God. And, and, you know, he that is married cares for the things of the world and how he may please his wife. And he was carnal and all. And I was, man, I was saving the world. I was going to save the world, I'm telling you. And uh, I come in from one of my tours uh, around the country and my pastor said, I want to talk to you. That usually was not a very... Uh, <clears throat> Usually not a very positive feeling accompanied with that statement. In fact, sometimes it was downright ominous. And uh, I said, yes, sir. And he told me that before church, so I had all service to worry about. What in the world he wanted to talk with me about? Uh, I had all service to pray about it and think about it and ask the Lord about it. And so he got me off into the corner. He said, come here. I, I, I want to talk about some things with you. And so, um, I, and I'm telling you, I had places to go. I had, man, they were wanting me all over the world. I'm telling you. Some of them was afraid to call, but they they were, I mean, I, I was in demand. I was going places. I was a conference preacher. Uh, I hadn't preached any conferences yet, but, I, I, man, I had it going on. He said, uh, um, look, I... You need to stay home for a while. I mean, he's telling this to the camp meeting preacher. He said, uh, I said, yes, sir. He said, um, matter of fact, I I need some help in the school, in the Christian school. Well, it was a school. I don't know how Christian it was. But uh, he said, I need some help. Uh, Some of the students are or they really need some help right now, so I want you to help and I thought well okay all right i i I can teach algebra and i can you know I can help out some of the high school students I can do that he said um, I need you to go in that elementary class and uh take over that elementary class and uh, you change what needs changing you just you 're going to teach in there the rest of the year. Elementary class. Does he know who I am? I mean, I've got, pla- I've got, I've got places they've invited me to preach. And I hate kids. I hate dealing with brats. And one of those brats was my little sister. And another one was my nephew. And they were not impressed with any of my sermons. They were not impressed with me being a conference preacher. They were not even impressed with me. And I said, well, okay. And uh, so, uh, man, and Brother Townley, he got the high road. He was in there teaching the ones with sense and algebra and the the high school students. I was in there with the kids. And, man, they had more accidents that year. (laughs) Lord have mercy. They, 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 they. Uh, they uh, mm, I can't even tell you the trials and tribulations that I went through. And one day we just had a, a a virus go through the go through the school. I won't give you all the details, but it it was so bad the janitor wouldn't even clean it up. Guess who had to clean it up? At, they they got. Uh, one of the kids was sitting at the at the test table, and he said, I'm sick. And the, the, my assistant, she wasn't as spiritual as I was, and she didn't have as much discernment as I was. She said, you're going to sit there and finish that test. And so, if it was me, I'd have let him go to the bathroom. And, but, but anyway, he proved to all of us he really needed to go. And I had draped my sports coat across the testing table from him and I looked that sports coat was never the same and uh, it was just a chain reaction and, and the assistant also she didn't stop with that she let the other kids get up and, and look at it and one of them went and regurgitated right in the air vent we smelled that the rest of the year Every time the air conditioner turned on, I was reminded what uh, uh, what was a conference preacher doing in an elementary class? Oh Lord! And and uh, one of them, we soon down the hall, and he left little tokens of of his the seriousness of his situation all down the hall. And I said, "Get the get the janitor, get the janitor, get get the janitor, and the janitor, come up the stairs and open the door." And went, Ooh. <laughs> And guess who's out there mopping the halls? The conference preacher. (laughs) But God taught me some things through that. That I didn't find in the pulpit. God taught me some things through that. That I didn't get. Going from place to place and church to church and standing on the platform. God taught me some things about dealing with people. And loving children and loving humanity and giving of myself when I'd rather be doing something else. You want God to bless you, brother? Quit focusing on your own disappointments and your own frustrations and what you're not getting and start focusing on what can I give? What can I contribute? How can I be a blessing? to those around me. That's where you're going to find fulfillment. If you're always focusing on me, you're going to be disappointed. If you're always focusing on what you can get out of marriage, and what you can get out of work, and what you can get out of life, you're going to be frustrated when you're focusing on yourself. But if you can begin to live a life of sacrifice, a manly sacrifice, God, I'm going to find my place. God, I'm going to find my place in the home. I'm going to find my place in the church. I'm going to find My place in ministry, and I'm going to feel that role like nobody else can feel it. You'll begin to feel a fulfillment and feel a satisfaction in your life that you have never felt before. I want to tell you you can have a beautiful family and be miserable, you can have money in your pocket and be miserable. You can have a wonderful wife and be miserable. You can pastor a large church and still be miserable. If you don't have the principle of sacrifice down in your heart, it will always never be enough. Never be quite enough. Never be good enough. Never be enough. Hallelujah. Praise God. I'm going to tell you. You can do menial tasks and small jobs, have problems in your family and and, uh, and, and, and being a church that's going through crisis and, and, and conflicts and and still have an inner peace and a, 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 a total lack of that fear, Brother Archer was preaching about yesterday because i 'm in the will of God. And all I can do is what God has asked me to do. All I can do is what the task that God has put before me today. And so I'm going to fulfill my role in a spirit of excellence. And I'm not going to crumble and I'm not going to complain and I'm not going to gripe about what's going on in my life right now. But I have been called to sacrifice. I'm a man. I'm supposed to lay my life down. I am a man. I'm supposed to give myself to my wife and my family I'm a man I'm supposed to serve and be a warrior and a defender of my church and stand beside my pastor I'm not always in the limelight I'm not always the out front personality I'm not always the one that gets to shine in the spotlight but uh, I'm a man and I have been called to sacrifice and I, I can be quite satisfied with that I can be settled with my role as a man God. I want to tell you today that great churches, healthy churches, revival churches, growing churches, they are not the results of self-centered human beings. The opposite of selfishness is sacrifice. And that has always been what's built a great church. It's not always how great the preacher preaches. It's not always how wonderful the music is. And I believe in being excellent... in in everything that we can do but I'm telling you what builds a church goes beyond what is said across the pulpit uh, with eloquence and oratory ability it goes beyond the kind of music or the style of music or the quality of music that's on the platform it goes right into that pew and it goes into how selfless and sacrificial people are can they cook Can they work? Can they mow the yard? Can they rally around their pastor? Can they support? Can they carry burdens? Can they roll up their sleeves and do the tasks that need to be done? Sometimes that are not desirable tasks, but they're just willing to do it. That's where a powerful church comes in. You can have great preaching, have a bunch of selfish people and just a bunch of conflict. You can have wonderful music, have a bunch of self-centered people and have nothing but strife and division. But you can have mediocre preaching and mediocre music and, 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 and not a lot of education and get some people together that know how to roll up their sleeves and say, Come on, Pastor, give us the vision, point us the way, show us what to do. And you can have powerful church with that kind of spirit. Amen. Praise God. It's already been preached this week, and my, 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 I, I, I hate to go over familiar territory, but your family needs your sacrifice. A manly sacrifice. Shouldn't be. So it's already been preached. Shouldn't be. Sister Spiritual, leading the way in prayer and leading the way in worship. It shouldn't be mama always giving and contributing? Your family needs a manly sacrifice. And you know, well, men sometimes men are goal setters and men are analytical and and so men try to study this thing out. And so they say, okay, I'm gonna pray this week. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna get up every morning. I'm gonna pray. Oh, I'm going to step up. And you get all inspired. And, boy, you get fired up at men's retreat. And you think, boy, I'm going to whip the devil, man. I'm going to go back home. And, boy, God, I'm going to... I'm going to... Uh, I'm ready. And you got devils doing push-ups back home waiting on you to get there. And, and, and man, you get back home. Man, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to worship. And that lasts about a week. And all hell breaks loose. I mean, the wife gets an attitude and... Kids don't act like they've got any sense. And uh, things go upside down at at work. And you th- man, this praying don't work. Oh, I, I must be in the wrong building. <laughs> I guess all that fired up I got at men's retreat. I, a lot of good that done me. I mean, we, we tried just, just, just a little bit. And, and we think three days of praying is going to fix everything. It ain't going to fix everything. Get a little spiritual. Man, I'm going to get so spiritual, I ain't going to have no troubles. You're not going to get so spiritual you don't have troubles. Matter of fact, can I give you something so profound? I mean, it's, so, it's going to knock the hair off your head. It's so profound. Well, some of you already heard it, hadn't you? But, it, hey... Can I get, can I tell you something, men? Trouble is normal. Why am I having a wife that has bad days? Oh, trouble is normal. Man that is born of woman is a few days and fool. I don't care how spiritual you get, you're not going to make all your troubles go away. I don't care if you, I I don't care if you fast until your belly button is showing through your backbone. But that's some fasting now. You're not going to make all your trouble go away. Because as long as you're here on earth, you're going to have trouble. And quit thinking because you prayed three days or you fasted two days or you really got out and and shouted and did the jitterbug and the mashed potato and the back bend and the slide on Sunday night that the devil just really targeted you because you really impressed God on Sunday night. You're going to have trouble. And our families are going to be imperfect. Gives us something to work on. Gives us something to pray about. It gives us something to reach for. We don't need to quit reaching. But I'm going to tell you, as good of a father as you try to be, it's still going to need some work. As much as you pray, still going to need some work. We look, see somebody else come in, and man, they're all cleaned up and they got nice clothes on. They act like they've got sense, and you think, well, I tell you what, I wish my wife had sense. And I wish, hey, she acts goofy sometimes too. They have disagreements too. They, they, they do. I'm, am telling you, uh, you, you know, uh, nobody has a home that doesn't take constant care and tending. Yeah. Oh, yeah. right, right, right. Woo! Even in the church, even in the ministry, even in the Bible, you hear about these biblical marriages. Hey, tell me who had the perfect marriage in the Bible. Adam and Eve, oh, yeah, they had a honeymoon in paradise. But it wasn't very long Till Adam said, God, it's the woman. She's caused all this trouble. So that couldn't be a perfect marriage. They lost their paradise. Oh, Abraham and Sarah, Uh, that was a good marriage. Abraham keeps wanting to have kids, and Sarah gets so sick of hearing it. She said, and I don't understand Sarah, I have never met a woman like Sarah. She says, well, just take my Egyptian handmaid and have a child, and that'll be my child. Yeah, right. And it ain't very long till Hagar, in the same house, has got an attitude with Sarah. You know, women sometimes can get these attitudes. Sarah gets an attitude with Hagar and and uh and you know what there's a scripture it 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 really it it really it puzzles me there's a lot of things that puzzle me but but uh Sarah after suggesting that Hagar have a child for Abraham Sarah comes back and say and she's mad at Hagar and she's mad at everybody and she's upset and she says, My wrong be upon thee. That'll help at a marriage retreat, wouldn't it? <laughs> My wrong be upon thee. Wait a minute. You're the one said it. You're the one suggested. It. Oh, I know I did it, but it's your fault. I never do find the scripture that explains how it was his fault. But. Anyway be that as it may Boy I better move on It's getting dangerous here I mean so Abraham and Sarah Sarah says Sarah says uh, I did wrong But you're the one to blame That couldn't be a perfect marriage Isaac and Rebecca Oh yeah I imagine that's the perfect marriage Isaac his favorite son was Esau Rebecca her favorite son was Jacob You don't think they didn't have some disagreements in fact, she's back there behind the scenes and said, you know, what your daddy wants is Esau to fix some food for him, but, but I'll help you a little bit, and we'll lie to him, and we'll deceive him, and we'll pull one over on him so my favorite can get what I want my favorite to get. You think they lived the rest of their years in bliss after that happened? And then comes along, Jacob. Jacob had two wives. two wives, and uh, there there was always squabbling in the household of Jacob. Well, surely Moses had a perfect marriage. I mean, all these people close to God and hearing from God had a perfect marriage. The only place we find his wife, Zipporah, talking, she's calling him names. You're a bloody man! You're a bloody husband! She must have been British, I don't know, but... uh, (laughs) She, she's calling him names. Oh, David, David had, David had the perfect marriage. He was a man after God's own heart. Oh, yeah, right. When it comes to marriage and family, David was a disaster. Solomon and all of his wisdom, surely he learned, no, Solomon was worse Well, Job was a righteous man. He hated evil, loved God with all of his heart, perfect and upright in all of his ways. Job had, about all we find out about Job's wife was she really wanted him to die. And she wanted him to curse God before he did it. She didn't even want him to die right. Somebody online, I read this, I I didn't read it online, but I read it, that somebody, there, there was some kind of survey about good marriages, perfect marriages in the Bible, and somebody actually said they thought the best marriage in the Bible was between Noah and Joan of Arc. Well, Noah and Joan of Arc didn't even have a perfect marriage. And while you think everybody else has got smooth sailing in their home, they're facing just as much pressure as you are. They're having just as much stress as you do. They've got just as much work to do as what you have got to do in your home. And you know what? You need to walk in there not like your little prayer meeting is going to solve everything. It's not like... It is a long-term project, having a good marriage, raising up good children to live for God. It's a long-term project that needs our work every day. Amen. Amen. Your family needs your sacrifice. I... I read somewhere that uh, children between the ages of 2 and 4 average 6.2 fights per hour. That's about 90 fights per day. It's about 3,000 fights per year. If you've got little kids in your house, you are tired. And then, if it's not little kids, you know they say when they're little they step on your toes, when they grow up they step on your heart. And uh, then there's teenagers. Mark Twain said teenagers are the teenage years are the years of temporary insanity. He said when a child turns 13, you need to put them in a box. Just leave a small hole that you can feed them through. He said when they turn 16, cover up the hole. Psychologists, they're, they're in the family, there's what's called a circle of connectedness, and that is children start out and they, 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 they kind of perceive uh, their world as a circle, and it's surrounded by father, mother, and other siblings and whoever is in the family, an extended family, and it's a circle of connectedness, the people they know, the people they emulate, the people they feel safe around, and uh, that circle begins to widen the more that they grow up, and and if they have a complete circle of connectedness, a father and a mother and a family, and they, they have these role models, then the, the more safe they feel and the more risk they're willing to take and the more creative they are, the more energy they have, uh, the more they bounce back from adversity, the, the quicker they'll get up when they fall down, the more they'll laugh. All of these things uh, uh, largely are affected by that circle of connectedness. And so as they grow older, the circle gets bigger. And when they're one year old, they want to be just a few inches away from dad or mom. And when they're two years old, they're willing to be a few feet from dad or mom. And, and then when they're three, that circle may be as big as the house. that's still in their minds a circle of connectedness, but they, they're sometimes willing to roam around the house. And it gets bigger the older they get. And when they get 15, that solar that, that, that circle is the size of the solar system. <laughs> Amen. Let me tell you something If your family needs a lot of work Take heart today You've got some tools that you've received This week you can take them home And start There's no magic wand You can't go home with my Lord I'm going to pray a week And if my wife don't change It uh, if my kids don 't start acting better, I tell you what I just no 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 you 've got a long term project ahead of you, and you 're going to stumble and you 're going to fall down and you 're going to have disappointments and they 're going to disappoint you, but you 've got to get right back up again and say, "My family needs my sacrifice, and they may not see the value of your sacrifice if you want accolades and compliments and tell you how great and wonderful of a father you are you 're going to be waiting a long time they in fact they may not ever know what uh, you've really done and provided but that's not the point the point is i'm a man and that's what i do i sacrifice for the good of my family they may never appreciate it they may never know all that i have done but i'm a man and that's my role matter of fact parents always love their kids more than kids will ever love their parents Don't ever expect your kids to turn around and love you as much as you love them. You know what they're going to do? They're going to take all of that love and all of that affection and all that you've given them and they're going to turn around and bestow it upon their kids. Your, your children will never, uh, if you're waiting around for them to tell you how great you are, they just think that's what you're supposed to do. And that is what you're supposed to do. Your, your, your accolades and your compliments cannot come from those you serve. You just stand in your place and sacrifice and do what a man is supposed to do. The opposite of selfishness is sacrifice. The answer in being the man that you need to be. We've heard the secret this week. The secret is in giving. It is not in getting. It is in giving. Amen. Now I'm going to tell you. You look at somebody like Brother Townley. And I don't think Brother Townley has ever had an impure thought in his mind. I think when, when he was born. He was born speaking in tongues. You look at somebody like Brother Townley and say, I could never measure up to what Brother Townley is. I, he was up here talking about compassion and kindness and, and, and all of those things. And, and he is so gentle and he handles people so well. I want to kill him! That's a joke. But, but he, is, he is so compassionate and so much the ideal of a gentleman. But I'm going to tell you something. You don't have to live up... To what He is. In fact, you'll never be what He is. But you can be what God intended you to be. And your family needs you to be. Husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ... Love the church, and He gave Himself. The secret is in giving. Why don't we purpose in our minds on this Saturday morning that we're going to go home and we're going to be givers. We're going to quit focusing on, what do I receive? Well, what do I get, about, uh, get out of it? Well, what about me? What about me? Why don't we lay aside that kind of uh, mentality and go home and say, I'm going to be a giver. I'm going to give to my family. Hallelujah. I want to talk about something else, not just family today, but I want to talk about our friendships. Sometimes it's hard for men to develop friendships. And I guess I've been thinking along these lines because uh, I have watched people grow old and lonely and have no friends. Never take the time. Make the investment. Slow down in life long enough to develop some needed friendships. There was, was a pastor recently that he told a friend of mine. He said, the greatest mistake of my ministry was I never cultivated any friendships. I didn't need friends. I was successful. I had things going. I had money. had everything I needed. And, and as a younger man, I didn't need friends He said, but there came a day I needed some friends, and there were none there because I didn't develop them and cultivate it. And I want to tell you a healthy church is established in unity and is held together by strong relationships. We have men that come to church and they have no connection to other men, they don't stop and visit with other brothers. They don't stop and find out what's going on in His world. They're so wrapped up in themselves. And I know we're busy. And I know we've got pressure. And I know we've got work calling for us. And we've got our families that need us. And and we've got our relationship with God. We're thinking about that when we come to church. But I'm telling you, what will help us going through the trials is a network of relationships and some investments that we have made in friendships. I know this ain't spiritual today, but it's practical. Churches need men who know how to have friendships. We don't need to have barbecues and nobody come. Oh, i got to work late. Oh, well, a wife wanted me to fix a screen door. Well, well, that ain't spiritual if it's a prayer meeting. I'm going to tell you, we need the togetherness. You may not need it right now, but somewhere you're going to need it. And there's probably somebody, I wonder how many men, I wonder how many men would have stayed hanging on, lived for God. Had there been a brother in the church, pick up the phone and say, hey brother, where were you tonight? Not just the pastor. Well, the pastor's supposed to do that. Well, what's wrong with some brothers reaching out and say, hey brother, hey brother, man, I, I want you to know I appreciate you, I need you. Man, I, you mean a lot to me. I wonder how many men would still be in church today if people would just pick up the phone or drop by and say, hey, I just came by. Not to preach them a long sermon, read them a bunch of scriptures, tell them they're going to hell. I'm talking about being a friend. If they just had a close friend. You know why they don't? Because friendships sometimes are hard to develop. We have to take down the veneer. Uh. You know, everything's fine. Oh fine. I'm doing good. Yeah, fine. Oh man, everything's great. We know everything ain't going great always. So we get busy and, and we've got things things you know, we've got to do and 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 uh and, and we don't we don't develop friendships in the church like we need to. You know what we preach a lot of times. We preach about we preach about those we lead. Boy, you better lead your 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 wife, and you better lead your kids, and you they're looking to you, and that's true, and that's needed. And then we talk about those we follow. You better support the pastor. You better get behind the pastor, and man, you better. And we talk very little about the relationship with those who we travel with, those who we walk beside. Hey, brother. There's another brother that needs you. I I am, you know. There's there's one thing uh, that that in friendship a friend has to reach out even when it's inconvenient. I am. I'll, I'll be vulnerable today and tell you I am the world's worst about picking up the phone and calling just to call. I'm busy i got things going on. I've always got a to-do list. I've always got something else I'm not doing. I don't have time to just pick up the phone and say, How are you? Call my preacher friends. How'd it go this weekend? How, how, what'd you preach? What, what went on? How you doing? But I need that. And I, I'm, sometimes it's not that I don't want to. It's not that I don't want to. It's just I know other pastors are busy. I know other preachers are busy. And, and I'm an intrusion. If I call, I, I, they're, they're doing something. They're studying. They're praying. They're spending time with their family. They're counseling saints. They're out on visitation doing things. They, they don't have time to hear from me. But I'm going to tell you something. I have blinked. I have blinked. I've been preaching 23 years. I've been pastoring 15 years. Oh, I'm still a young man. I'm not near as old as Brother Holt. But I'm still a young man. But I blinked and here I am. 15 years of pastoral life has gone by. And one of the things that if I could go back and redo it, Brother Townley, I'd be a better friend. I need friends. You need friends. Oh, I'm not talking about somebody, you just you just put your hand on a brother's shoulder and whoop, whoo, yeah, he's my friend, boy. We were shopping together about three Sunday nights ago. No, I'm not. You can, you can go to church with somebody and hardly know anything about their lives sit on a pew with somebody go to prayer meet and see them several times a week and never reach out to them and see them as a brother in Christ and a fellow traveler in this journey while we're focusing on those we lead and those we follow hey let's not forget those that we walk beside they need our, 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 our sacrifice too it's a sacrifice hey pick up the phone hey Brother, where were you? I missed you last night. Oh, you just working late, boy. I I just missed you, man. We need you, brother. I'm telling you, we need. We love you. I appreciate you. I want you to know, um, you mean a lot to me. You see a brother that's looking a little down. I'm not talking about prying into his business. Whoa, what's going on? Or oh, what have you done? What are you? What have you been up to? I'm not talking about that kind of nosiness. There's a difference between being nosy and establishing a friendship. Being a friend that just says, you know, I'd like to have the words that would pick him up and encourage him. Amen. Just just a word of encouragement. And you know what? People can die and never know what they mean to us. I have noticed as a pastor, and again, I'm being vulnerable, but many times the people who do the most and, and who have blessed me the most often. Hear it the least from me because I find I've got to reach out to the straying and I've got to reach out to the downtrodden and reach out to the discouraged and bolster up the discouraged and the people that are faithful and are are loyal and are, 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 are consistent. Oftentimes they are taken for granted. And we just go to church with people and... and side-by-side side with brothers and not have a clue what they're going through and the burdens that they're carrying and and we don't ever just reach out and say brother is there something i can help you with now you don't now i'm gonna tell you something if if, if you want your car fixed don't call me as with pastor, pastor johnson can do anything he can fix anything he can he can repair anything he can build anything I mean, he could just do it all. I can't do nothing. I can just look at an engine and it breaks down. Anything mechanical, it just my brain starts freezing up and and my eyes start rolling back in my head. And uh, I, I, I'm telling you, you don't want me fixing it. But if Brother Johnson can fix anything on a car. He can tell you what's wrong with it. He can he can do all of that. Now, I'm going to tell you, some of you brethren, some of you brethren, you enjoy working with your hands. You enjoy repairing things. You enjoy, oh, this ain't spiritual today. But you enjoy, you have a gift for that. And you know how men, now I'm going to tell you, don't call me to fix your hot water heater. I don't know the first thing about it. But there are some brothers, you just have a knack for it. Is there something I can help you with? Is there, is there something going is, is, there, is there something going on? Well, the hot water here is out, and this and that, the dryer's messed. up. There's some of you. You go in there, and take the back off that thing, look at it. And, oh, it's just this right here. Or, oh, you just need this little part, and you could be a friend to somebody and reach out. But we get stuck in our little selfish world. And we get blinders on. We think about what I've got to do tomorrow. How am I going to make my wife happy? Well, what am I do, going to do about junior at school? And, and uh, I, I'm, just, I'm just glad I made it to Wednesday night Bible study. Everybody ought to be happy and pat me on the back. When we ought to take off the blinders and look around and get out of our little cocoon and say, God, is there a way that I can be a friend to a brother that will help him a little further on his Christian journey toward heaven? There's times uh, that we need to just be with one another. We're not just bombarding heaven with our prayers and not shouting in the aisle and not hearing preach. We just be with one another. No pressure, no, just with one another. Forging friendships. I'm telling you, I've seen people grow old and their phone never rings because they never invested. Nobody ever comes by because they never stepped out of their comfort zone and stopped by somebody else's place. Well, I don't want to intrude. Well, well, hey, it may be the intrusion that is needed that give them a little encouragement and help along their way. Hallelujah. Barnabas looked beyond his own ministry. We don't know about how Barnabas is a, a great preacher, or this big church he pastored, or uh, how eloquent that Barnabas was. Or We don't have any of his sermons recorded in the book of Acts, but we do know one thing. He knew how to be a friend. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And while everybody else, Paul was just overlooked. Paul was just excluded, was not made a part. And, and you know what, sometimes people can be excluded in our churches. We can have our little groups, us us four and no more. And I go to church and I see my cousin Joe and I, I, I see nephew Sam and I, I see my, uh, you know, so and so and, and this one. And, and I know everybody and you got somebody else that's kind of coming in. We just walk, hey, praise the Lord, brother. Hey, amen, praise God. We just go along and, and we can unintentionally exclude people that could give so much to the body of Christ. I'm trying to drive this point home today. I'm trying to drive this home in our hearts and and help us remember there's going to be somebody that's going to need us. And there's going to be a day we're going to need somebody else to reach down and pick us up. To be there for us. Uh, Elder B.A. Spell, I recently heard him say, uh, he said, you know what, all of my friends have died. I've outlived all my friends. He said, so I'm getting out and making new ones. Eighty-something years old. I'm going to get out and make some new ones. (laughs) Amen. How about getting out and making some friends? Include somebody. Why don't you, next service, a next prayer meet, look around for somebody on the fringes. Now, there's times, you know, a pastor has to get up and say, so and so, you ain't going to have nothing to do with them. That don't mean we treat everybody that way. Pastor has to get up and lay the law down and say certain certain persons caused us some trouble, but that don't mean that we just exclude everybody. Well, I'm looking suspiciously, Oh, I don't know about him. No, no. If the pastor hadn't made a statement and hadn't drawn the line, it it ain't. He don't mind. Hey, I'm telling you, our apostolic pastors are some of the most compassionate and long-suffering men that I know. They want everybody to be saved. They want everybody to be good saints. They don't want to exclude anybody. They want to include everybody. When when a, pastor, when a pastor has to come down the line, you just get it in your mind. It must have been bad. Your pastor wants the church to grow. He doesn't want the church divided. Right. Right. Amen. And, and you need to look around. Be a Barnabas and look around. See somebody. Include them. Well, they ain't as smart as me. Well, they may need your intelligence. Right. Come on now. Right. Well, they act kind of strange. Well, you may be strange to some people. Well, I'm uncomfortable. There's a lot of things in life that make us uncomfortable. Amen. You're probably uncomfortable when you shave in the morning, but you shave anyway. Praise God. Reach out to somebody. We would have never gotten the epistles Of Apostle Paul had it not been for the friendship of a Barnabas. He would have never established the churches and got the support and the benefit and and the backing of all of the churches that existed had it not been for the inclusion of a Barnabas. It may be you're never the preacher, you're never the pastor, you're never the evangelist, but you could be a Barnabas that reaches out to somebody who has so much to give to the church, so much to contribute, could be such a benefit and a blessing to your local assembly if you would just simply take the time to be a friend. Oh, praise God. I'm I'm winding down. I know I've gone a little while. You don't have two preachers today. You just got one. So, uh, I, I, uh, I want to be mindful of of your time. You know, a friend will celebrate your successes as if they are his own. Brother Townley and I have been friends for over twenty five years now, and uh, hey. Any success he has doesn't take away from me. In fact, i tell you how I feel. and it, uh, He may tell me to change my feelings after service, but, but I feel like his success is my success. I know how to choose friends. My father-in-law, I, man, any of his success, that's, that's my father-in-law. That, that, hey, it's not uh, something that takes away from men. From me, I rejoice in whatever blessings he gets. That's my father-in-law. Amen. That that I, I celebrate with him. I can't let myself get jealous or see myself as a competitor with somebody else. Well, that's the second time Maybe have asked him to the pulpit this week. Well, that's my brother. And I can shout when he's singing. I can rejoice when he's preaching. I can praise God when he's testifying. He's my brother. He's my friend. Come on, we need to be the kind of friend that can celebrate with a brother's successes. Amen. Brother Bass, he's in my fellowship. I chose this fellowship. His success is my success. Brother Padgett, he's my friend. His success is my success. And I rejoice in the blessings of God. Brother Holt, my Lord, I, 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 I ought to be thrilled with whatever God does in your life. Well, he come out of our church. We need to keep him smaller. And my my Lord, Brother Bass, just like you said, if he reaches the heights of spiritual success, praise God for it. He's my brother. I'm going to celebrate with him. Not going to try to compete with him. Not going to be envious of him. I'm going to celebrate with him. I chose him to be my brother. He's my friend. Jonathan understood David had an anointing he didn't have. And David had a future that he didn't have. Everybody couldn't be king. But Jonathan had an understanding of the will of God. And, and you know what? I, I found out, uh, you know, you'll you, you get your day and you'll get your time and you'll get your limelight and you'll get your rewards. You just got to learn how to enjoy it with somebody else when they're getting theirs. And don't try to shine that the spotlight ain't on you. Just You just rejoice. Somebody else getting blessed, brother getting blessed. You know what you need to say? Well, if God can bless him, God will bless me. Amen. Well, praise God. It's His time. It's His day today. It'll be my day one day. And I just, I'll just rejoice with what's going on in somebody else's life. My God owns the cattle of a thousand hills. And He didn't steal from me to give to somebody else. Hallelujah. Amen. I, I spent a couple of weeks ago, spent a few days with uh, Brother Town and his family, and, and it's good to have Elder Brother Townley here. I, uh, I've, I've, uh, I've preached some of his sermons. He used to tell me. He used to tell me. Of course, Elder Brother Townley's not a preacher. We'd go riding horses. He'd say, "Look at here, youngin." And with many other words did he testify and exhort. But he uh, said, look here, you can't be scared of this horse. He's bigger than you, but you're in control. And, uh, and you've got to let him know you're in control and you're in charge. And if you'll tell him you're in charge, he'll believe you're in charge. And my church has heard that sermon several times. Praise God. Amen. And uh, good to see Uncle Don here. I found out I was in the Townley family, so I can call him Uncle Don, bless God. But uh, uh, in fact, I may have been to as many family reunions as what Brother Townley has been. But uh, after I left a few days, a few days being with Brother Townley, I, uh, I realized that he inspired me to be better. A friend will influence you toward the right. Won't influence you toward the wrong. But he inspired me to be better. And uh, I, I've preached about it in youth camps and such. And Brother Town and I started out as friends. Um, I, I preached about how, I don't know how much influence I had, but I know that he had a, a, a great influence. On the formation of my ministry and early years and my consecrations and and many times I prayed because he prayed he 's my friend, and um, I, 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 I worship because he was worshiping and, and I, I was doing things um, because he influenced me to to go that direction and and I look back now and I think, you know what if he had slipped and cussed a little bit i 'd probably have slipped and cussed a little bit. If he had slipped around and smoked a cigarette and dipped skull, I'd have probably been more prone to do that too. If he had been listening to rock music and all these other things, I'd have probably, probably kind of moved in that direction. But thank God for a friend who influenced me toward the things of God. Not by a sermon he preached. Not by berating me and rebuking me and, and, uh, and talking down to me. But just being there and doing the right thing. That's what I'm asking you to do today, gentlemen. Is just be there. Do the right thing. Be the example that you need to be. And let God bless you. Your family needs your sacrifice. Your friends need your sacrifice. Hallelujah. And then, finally... And uh, I promise you I won't go as long on this one as what I did on the other two. But uh, I, not only, I, not, I not only have preached about us being family men and, and being friends, but I want to talk about us being followers just for a couple of minutes. About being followers. Your church and your pastor need your sacrifice. Your pastor doesn't need another eloquent speaker. He doesn't need somebody who's just 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 a, 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 a hog for pulpit time. He, didn't, he doesn't need somebody who's just eager to show off their talent or tell everybody else how to do what needs to be done. Tell you what your pastor needs. Your pastor needs an armor bearer. Your pastor needs an armor bearer. Amen. The word armor bearer, it comes from two Hebrew words. And uh, the first word is noshah, at least that's how I pronounce it, and it means to lift. The second word, the Hebrew word uh, that, that goes with that is, is kale, and that is, or kolah. And uh, that means to end, to lift and to end, to lift and to end. That's the word armor bear. The pastor needs somebody who can get under the burden. And the pastor needs somebody who can finish what he starts. Preaching is not an end to itself. Preaching is not something so we can have a cheering section. Boy, I never heard that before. Man, I didn't know that was in the Bible. Woo, man, let's give him a big... uh, Hey, that is not what preaching is about. It's not an end to itself. It's to give you the equipment and the tools to take into a world. Amen. What is needed, what was started in the pulpit needs to be finished in our homes. What was started in the pulpit needs to be finished on our jobs. What was started in the pulpit needs to be finished in a lost and a dying world. And the pastor needs some armor bearers that will take what he has and take what he has given and stand beside him and go with him and will lift up the burden he has to carry and finish off what he has begun. Amen. I find four specific uh, armor-bearers in Scripture. There was Abimelech in the book of Judges. The Bible said that Abimelech went close, he had besieged the town, and he went close to the tower. The whole village had gathered up in this strong tower. All of them went into the top of the tower. And uh, so he said, Well, that won't be a problem. We'll burn the tower. And they're taking wood and they're stacking wood against the base of the tower. And the Bible said while he was there and trying to get the fire going that a woman took a millstone and the piece of the millstone and cast it out of the window and it fell upon Abimelech's head and it broke his skull. And he knew he was going to die. And he turned to his armor bearer. And he said, Thrust me through lest it be said of Abimelech a woman slew him. Well that was a that was that was an insult. How'd you like that on your tombstone? Here lies Abimelech, slain by a woman. That was an insult in that day. And I don't know how they found out that it was a woman that threw the millstone. But he didn't want to die with that kind of reputation. And so he turned to his armor bearer and he said, protect my reputation. Now I'm not talking about killing the leader. You understand, I'm not justifying any kind of damage done against a man of God. But I am extracting a principle out of this story to tell you that an armor bearer will always protect the reputation of his leader. I'll do whatever I've got to do, but I'm going to protect the reputation of my leader. There ain't nobody going to come to me and talk about Pastor Johnson to me. Ain't nobody going to run. Ain't nobody bringing a rumor to me and say, "Well, you know, well, some people they're glad to hear rumors, whether they're true or not. They they want to hear gossip." But I'm going to tell you, we need some men who will be an armor bearer and say, "You're not bringing down the reputation of my pastor and my church." I'm going to fight, I'm going to do everything I can to preserve the reputation of my leader. When he stands in that pulpit, that's a man of God that preaches to my children. That's a man of God that preaches to my wife. And until otherwise is proven, I'm going to stand up and protect the reputation of my man of God. God, give us armor bearers. Men who will not just believe one story and another. Men who don't want to believe the negative. But men who will stand up and say, I will be trusted with the well-being of the man of God and the church where I attend. I'll defend it. I'll defend it. Amen. You may be seated just for a moment. There was another time Saul was defeated by the enemy. His three sons were slain. The Philistines had overrun the Israelites. And the Bible said that the archers had sore wounded Saul. And Saul was running Uh, for his life his armor bearer was with him and he turns to his armor bearer and he says thrust me through because the Philistines will say that they have killed me and the Bible said the armor bearer would not because he was sore afraid now when you look up the, the term sore afraid there it does not mean he was running for his life it does not mean he was terrified of the Philistines it does mean that he had a reverence and an honor for the position of Saul and he would not touch his position and so an armor bearer has a reverence for the position of the man of god in his life i'm going to tell you if you're going to be saved you're going to be saved because you had a pastor that will give an account for you you're going to be saved because you have submitted your life and submitted your heart to spiritual leadership and authority he had a reverence and an honor a, 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 a An armor bearer will stay by the side of his leader till the end. I find that the armor bearer, it was his decision to keep the chariot in good working order. It was his decision what horse the king would use. What horse he would choose. They would choose the fastest. They would choose the healthiest horses. No doubt the armor bearer had access to the fastest horse and could have gotten away from the Philistines. But the armor bearer said, I'm going to stand here even when times are down and things are negative and the battle is going against us. I'm going to stand by the king and I'm going to be the armor bearer that he wants me to be. And the the armor bearer stayed there until Saul fell upon his own sword and then and the armor bearer, likewise, fell upon his own sword. We need some armor bearers that will stay with it through thick and thin. People get nervous when a family or two leaves the church. People get to looking around, My Lord, what's going on? I guess the anointing's not here. I'm telling you, there's always going to be people backsliding. There's always going to be people leaving the church. There's always going to be disgruntled people. And you just might as well settle in and say, I've got the spirit of an armor bearer. And when things are not going good, people are leaving. People are backsliding. I'm not going to wonder what's wrong with the pastor, what's wrong with the church. I'm going to stand here and stick with my leader until the end. Amen. Amen. Then there was a time that Jonathan and a young man, his armor bearer, they looked across at the Philistines. And Jonathan gets this wild idea said, You know, uh, we know that... uh, God can save by many or by few. So why don't we go up and why don't we attack the Philistines? And if you read it, you find that it was an uphill climb. They had to climb a cliff before they even got to the place where the Philistines were. And yet and yet, Jonathan, he gets this wild-eyed vision. He gets this dream. I want victory. And I think just you and I can gain this victory. And the armor-bearer didn't try to talk him out of it. The armor-bearer didn't try to reason with him. The armor-bearer didn't tell him he was crazy. The armor-bearer simply looked at Jonathan and said, Do all that is in thine heart, for I am with thee. When your pastor's saying, my Lord, we can fill up this church. You don't need to say, "Oh Lord, this church, this right here. You need to jump up and say, do all that's in your heart, pastor. Come on, we can have revival. Do all that's in your heart, pastor. Come on, we can, we can have, we can pray a hundred people through this year. Do all that's in your heart. And the Bible said that Jonathan went up and began to slay the Philistines and the armor bearer slew after him. And part of the armor bearer, you can be seated, part of the armor bearer's task was he'd come along behind his master. And, and, oh, that one's wiggling. Oh, that one's moving a little bit. Let me cut his head off. I'm going to finish off the battles my leader has won. Oh, I know what we do. Well, honey, I can't say as I agree with all of it, but that's what the preacher said. Well, that's his opinion. That's a, You know, he is a man, and that, that's... You know, that's the way he feels about it. and uh, All preachers don't feel that way. And all the, Where is the spirit of an armor bearer that says, Hey, pastor preached, we don't wear that. So I'm going to finish this off. We're getting it out of the house. Yeah. Pastor preached, we don't watch that. So I'm going to finish this off. I, it don't matter if it's my kids or my grandkids. We're getting it out of the house. Where's the armor bearer? I say, Pastor, you preach it. I'll finish it off. My fa- As for me and my house, we want to serve the Lord. You just tell us and we'll complete the battle for you. Amen. Pastor gets up and says, we need to have a move of God. We need to have a spirit of worship in here. Amen. Where's the men that'll stand up and say, we're going to have some worship in here. Well, we're going to wait on God to move. No, I'm going to finish off what my pastor said. And so I'm going to step up and that old spirit of confusion that came in the service and that spirit of strife that's been in the service. I'm going to finish it off. Stand with me. Stand with me. I'm through. I'm through. An an armor bearer also uses his talents For the benefit of the cause And not for his own glory The Bible said that David was called by Saul's servants To play his harp in the presence of Saul Drive the evil spirits away And the Bible said that Saul loved him greatly And he became his armor bearer David Didn't start out on stage before the applause of crowds. David started out using his talents to worship and praise God. So many folks today want to be one of the out front people and want to be, man, where I can be seen. I've got got ability. I've got got talent. This world is oozing with talent. There's plenty of talent. What we need as men with servants' hearts, and with a willingness to be an armor-bearer, that says, my talent is for the cause. Whatever ability I have, it's not for my own glory, it's for the cause, for the benefit of another. Those old evil spirits that are causing Saul to be so irritable, I'll play until the spirits are driven away because my talent's not about me. It's for the benefit of somebody else. Spirit of an armor bearer. Brother, a manly sacrifice is for the benefit of those that you lead, your family. A manly sacrifice is for the benefit of those that you walk beside, your friends. And a manly sacrifice is for the benefit of the one you follow, your pastor, you're man of God when when you fulfill the role that God wants you to have. I, I read um, recently an, about an ancient, there's an ancient Arab poem. And it tells a story of 1,400 years ago. So a man, and in their Bedouin way, uh, he was escorting the ladies of his tribe on the road, traveling to a market or a bazaar, no doubt. There was a raiding party that was lying in wait for them from a nearby village. And this this, uh, this band of marauders swept down from the hills, came down upon this this one man and this group of women from the tribe. And the man he put up a fight, he fought as long as he could, and he, he got between uh, the women who began to run back toward the village, and uh, he fought, and he fought, he gave them a chance to flee and to get close to their own tents, and uh, there would be other men there to protect them. And, and so in the fight, the hero of this little poem, he sustains a, a wound. And it is a life threatening wound, and so, in the poem, he rides his camel to the top of the hill, and uh, he gets away from the raiding band and and he he plants uh he 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 uh he, he comes to his place on the top of the hill, and the fleeing women are heading toward their village on one side, and the raiders have are coming up the hill and they they stop. And he knows that his life is about to end, and so he jabs his spear into the ground, and he and he props it against his arm right under his arm there and he leans against the shaft of that spear, and he's propped up on his camel's back, and he dies in that position and so the enemy had seen how fiercely he fought and how quickly that uh, this group was able to get away. And so they're reluctant to attack. This is the only passageway to the village and toward where these women are. And they see this long, tall figure at the top of the hill and just standing, just standing there, propped up on his spear. And the sun is at the hero's back and he makes a quite a, a silhouette against... Uh, the sky there and they're reluctant they're holding back and uh, they can't they're not close enough to see his eyes they're not close enough to see the expression of his face all they can see is a man prepared to defend those that he's been entrusted with and finally after watching him for a long period of time they see how little he moves And uh, they finally come to the strange realization that the hero of this poem is actually dead. Brothers, I want to die standing. I don't want my family to walk by and look at me for the last time at my funeral and say, Boy, he sure was a selfish thing. He sure was out for number one. All he thought about was himself. I want to die standing. I want to die standing between my family and those that would want to take everything dear and precious from them. I want to die standing between my church family and those that would try to steal everything that's godly and righteous from them. I want to die standing, amen, between my friends that I need and everything that the enemy is sending, the attacks the enemy is is sending. Against them. I want to die. Propped up in defense position. I don't know. Could I get some could I get some music? I know. I know I preached a while. I'm so sorry. Well, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. But I, I know I preached a little while, but this has been such a marvelous retreat. I've heard things from the